So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Graham. I'm the pastor here. Glad that you're with us today. We're in the middle of a series called Twisted. And what we've been doing in Twisted is looking at um, well-known Bible passages that have been uh, you know, popularly quoted. They're used like that, but they're misunderstood. They're misrepresented. They're misquoted. And it happens all the time. So this is Popular Verse Sunday, week number three. And Christ, uh, chances are, if you are a Christian, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you're going to know the verse that we're going to talk about today. You've heard this verse. You've probably quoted this verse. Um, you've seen this verse somewhere. It's not uncommon to you. And I remember a time, it's not the first time I heard this verse, but I remember a time, a key time in my life when I heard this verse. Um, it was right after my car accident, and it was in a recovery period um, after the night that a transport tractor trailer truck drove over the 1985 Toyota Tercel that I was driving. Some of you know this story. You already know what's going on there. That night, I should have died. There, there's not a way that it, it shouldn't have been like that. That's what happened. And, and in the aftermath, in the weeks after, and I'm, I'm trying to sort out what's going on and how I feel and, and try to process all that with some friends, there was a guy that came along, and I didn't know him super well, but he was an upperclassman, and I was just a freshman. And so upperclassmen, you know, they get that extra level of credibility. And he sort of breezed in, and he said something like this. He said, I know you're confused right now, and I know that you're hurting, but God cares for you. I just want you to know that there's a verse that, that might be able to really impact your life. And then, of course, his voice became somewhat angelic. And there were soft, stringed instruments in the background that rose to a swell as this guy read to me Jeremiah 29, 11. That's the verse that we're going to look at today. And he said, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And it goes on after that to talk about if you seek God, you will find him. And I remember just sitting there in this hurt, confused state, wondering to myself, could that be true? Was this verse for me? Did God, does God really care about me? Does he have plans for me? Does he have plans to bless me and to prosper me? And that day, that moment, that verse impacted me in a significant way. And odds are decent that, that you have a story about that verse. You have some familiarity with it. Maybe you've got a coffee mug with that verse on the outside, and every day you use that coffee mug to drink your coffee, even though coffee is gross. Chances are, if, you, if you've graduated and you got a graduation card, that this verse was in your graduation card. Somebody gave it to you. It's the most quoted verse in graduation cards. I bet that it's not unlikely that somebody here has a magnet with this verse on it, and it's slapped on your refrigerator so that every day you can see it there. I'd go so far as to bet that there's someone here who has a pillow that your grandmother cross-stitched that verse onto because that's what they teach at Nana Training School in the cross-stitching program. Put this verse on a pillow. Get it right. And this verse is amazing, it's popular, it's comforting, it's soothing, it's a hope-filled verse, it's everything that we like about the notion of religion. Wouldn't that be great? And what I want to do today, though, is to ruin all of that. 
Okay, just kidding. Not exactly like that. But what I want to do is I want to I show you that there's a lot more to this verse than what we normally understand. And so I want to help to bring some context to it, to reframe it a little bit. And then perhaps you might end up loving this verse even more because you understand it more deeply. So what we're going to do in order to get a little deeper is uh, do what we've done the last couple of weeks. I've told you, when we try to understand or interpret the Bible, we can use three steps that will really help us. So the first thing, we want to understand the context, the reason that it was written. The second thing we want to do is to interpret Scripture with Scripture. And then the third thing is we want to apply it. How does that thing make a difference to me? How will I live differently because of that? How will God's Word transform my life. It's not just about living, right? It's about living it out. We don't study the Bible simply to study it. We study it so that it can transform us, so that God, He can transform us as we do it. So Jeremiah 28, 9, 11, we're going to look at the context. And the first thing is, when we go to the beginning of Jeremiah 29, you would get to verse 1. That's going to help us with the context. So the first verse of Jeremiah 29 says this, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent. So question number one, who wrote the letter? Yeah, ding, 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 right? You got that one. We're very trained at this now, right? So Jeremiah, it's the prophet. So Jeremiah sent it from Jerusalem. Now, who did he write it to? Who was he trying to send this information to? To the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests the prophets, and all the other people that Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. What's going on? Jeremiah is writing a letter, and he's writing it to the Jewish exiles. The folks have been taken to Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar came in and sort of scooped him up. Not everyone, but most people, especially the best, the brightest, the youngest, the promising people. Scoop them up, take them with them to Babylon. Why? Why did that happen? Why are they in exile? Well, the reason is because they rebelled against God. They disobeyed God. And they turned to false gods, turned to idols. And so God says, basically, because of your sinfulness, because you have broken and continue to break the covenant that I made with Abraham, we stop there quite often and we hear that as God bringing down judgment. But what's happening is that God is saying, I'm not giving up on you. You you seem to be giving up on me, but I'm not giving up on you. I'm not abandoning you. I'm going to call you back to myself. And to do that, I'm going to let you experience for a little while what it's like to actually follow the gods that you're choosing to follow, the gods that you follow instead of me. So remember, we talked about this. We did that series right before Christmas called Right in the Eye, and we worked through this idea that all the time God set up this covenant, and we keep walking away. We keep choosing something else there. So what God is saying at this time is not, it's judgment. He's saying, it's time out, okay? For the next 70 years, you're going to be under the control of the Babylonians. You're going to have the opportunity to experience those gods that you've been choosing. You're going to see what life is like under their rule. You're in time out. When we read these verses... Now, we need to realize, first of all, in the Bible, you will find in multiple places, there are specific promises, and then there are general promises. There are specific promises to a specific group of people, and then there are general promises that are to everyone. And the truth here, Jeremiah 29, 11, it's a specific promise 
made to the Jewish exiles. We need to understand that this verse was not written specifically to us, but specifically to a nation, a specific nation at a specific time in their history. The problem for me, maybe for you, is that when I read the verse, God has plans to prosper you, I always thought the you was me. God has plans to prosper me. But that's the problem. So to help us with that, I want to teach you a couple of seminary words, okay? Just two of them. They're not really important, but it's kind of fun. You can talk about these later on. The first word we want to be able to do, it's a, it's a, it's a verb. We want to do good exegesis. And we not eisegesis, okay? So for clarity, ex, exegesis is not extra Jesus, okay? It's ex-a-jesus, okay? Ex means to pull out of. Our goal is to pull the truth out of the text. That's what we try to do with good exegesis. Eisegesis, on the other hand, is to see in the text what we want to see or to read ourselves into the text. Coincidentally, eisegesis never comes into play in a judgment passage. We never, we never hear God saying, oh, that's a message specifically to me that I'm going to be judged. We only seem to hear it when it's a blessing kind of passage. So if you do eisegesis, it doesn't mean that you don't love Jesus. It doesn't mean that you're a heretic. It doesn't mean that we're going to have to burn you at the stake a little later today. What it means is you do kind of what all of us do at some point. You read through your own filter and you put yourself into the text when you want to be there. The reason that this is dangerous, the reason that we're bringing up and telling you big words that you don't really need to know is that if we start to believe Jeremiah 29, 11 or other verses like it as a specific promise to us, we hear that as saying God is going to prosper us, all of us. God is going to bless us, everyone. Whenever one of those things doesn't happen, like, no harm will come to you, right? Ever. Whenever that doesn't happen, well, I prayed and now I'm not blessed. I'm, I'm faithful and I lost my job. I've been going to church and my kid got sick. Whenever we believe that this is, um, that this, whenever we believe that this is just to us and those things don't happen, it leads us to the conclusion that either God doesn't exist or that he's not really good or that he's not powerful. And this is a common problem in our culture. These things come up all the time. Why is he mean to me? Why doesn't God like me? More than that, what do I have to do to get God to like me more so that he'll do what I want him to do? Why did he lie? I thought he said. And that's the danger we so often get to when we read ourselves into a promise. We start to wrongly believe that God is some sort of a cosmic Coke machine. We come up to God, we put our money in, we do what we're supposed to do, and then we push the button. And then he must deliver exactly what we want. He is the on-demand God. And essentially, what we're doing is reducing God to our butler who exists to serve us. You rang, madam. How may I serve you today? You know, that's sort of an idea that we think that God is just waiting to do a little something, something for us. The bottom line is that we exist to serve and glorify God. 
His highest calling and purpose is not to serve us. But he did serve us through Jesus. He blesses us in so many ways, but ultimately God is not saying, well, what can I do for you? I'm here for your pleasure. We exist to bring him glory. And that's why we have to be very, very careful not to read ourselves into a promise that was not made for us. So are you glad you came to church today? <laughs> now you got to throw away your coffee mug. You can't wear your favorite t-shirt anymore. You got to scrub off that Jeremiah 29 11 tattoo. You got to take a knife to that nanny's pillow that she made for you. Cut it up. Get rid of that stuff. This series is so much fun, right? <laughs> Week one, we said, ask anything in my name. Nope, not the way you're thinking of it. Week two, don't judge. Great, now I got to worry about that too. Week three, plans to prosper. Yeah, but not for you. Week four, <laughs> we still got more, right? Week four is when we talk about the root of all evil. Nothing but good times at into one. We are an entertainment-based church. Another question. We're looking at Jeremiah 29, and I bet you're getting good at this one, okay? What comes before Jeremiah 29? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Now, how many of you, knowing that, spent this week reading Jeremiah 28 just to prepare? How many? Yeah. Liar. <laughs> Here's this quick summary of Jeremiah 29. 28, okay? There's this guy, his name is Hananiah. And Hananiah comes in and he says to the people, guess what, everybody? This exile that you're on? Two years, okay? That's it, two years. You thought you were going to be gone for all this time? No. God is great. He's going to break the Babylonians and in two years, you're out of here. And if you read Jeremiah 28, and I'm suggesting that you should read Jeremiah 28, there's a showdown that's happening between Hananiah and and the prophet Jeremiah. And, and Hananiah comes up to Jeremiah and he takes the yoke of Jeremiah and he breaks it in public. And the yoke there was a visible symbol of everyone, um, to everyone that Jeremiah's office as a prophet, that he was yoked to God, that he was in partnership with God. And what was happening there was basically trash talking, right? That's what's going on. You ain't no prophet, you ain't bad, you ain't nothing. And then Jeremiah turns around and says, oh, wait, 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 no, 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 oh, no, you didn't just say that. And we're getting this back and forth between these guys. And he's saying, Hananiah, what you're saying sounds good, but it's not true. Hananiah went to false prophet school, and he was delivering what we would now call fake news, or really here, false good news, Okay? False good news, this is only going to last for two years. And Jeremiah, the prophet, says, no, 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 you're so wrong. You're so wrong and mm, awkward. You're going to die. This is pretty serious. When you speak for God and you speak wrongly for God, it's going to cost you. And in the seven month, seventh month of that year, guess what happened? The prophet Hananiah died. This is just like an HBO special right? We got all the mini-series here. You should really read your Bible. There's lots of good stuff in there. And this is why parents all over the world call their children Jeremiah. And ain't nobody called Hananiah because he was a false prophet with false good news. So today, we're in the same boat. 
it's easy to pursue false good news because I want what feels good. I want easy believism. Who doesn't? Honestly, who doesn't want that? And I want God to do everything that I want him to do. I'm telling you the truth when I say these things. I want it to be all about me. And I bet you're in the same boat. If you had the choice and if you were going to make the religion your way, you would like God to do everything that you would like him to do. And without knowing it, without realizing, we slide into eisegesis, where the text, when I want it, is about me. God is there to serve me. And everything's got to be about me. And if we're not careful, we'll be drawn to a type of preaching that almost always says this same kind of thing. And I'm really, I don't like to sort of go off about what other people do and how they do it. But if you watch on television, especially at the beginning of the year, you're going to hear a lot of messages that sound like this. That this is the year of abundance. Or this, this is the year of the breakthrough. Ah, this is the year of victory. Today, on this day, you will prosper. This seed will bring a harvest. And on and on and on and on. That's the way the year starts for so many people. And honestly, I sincerely hope that for every one of you, this is the year of your breakthrough. I sincerely hope that this is the year of prosperity for you. I sincerely hope that on this day, whatever you need is going to happen. The problem is, if we only seek that and we only believe that, then one day when something like that doesn't happen, we end up thinking, well, God's not real or God's not good. And before long, we reduce Christianity as just a means to an end. God exists to make my life easier. God exists to make me comfortable. God wants me to be happy. And his version of happy is exactly the same as my version of happy. God exists to make me prosperous. God exists to bless me. And when we're not, when we're not careful, we become the main subject of God's word. When the reality is, God is the main subject of his word all the time. He's the source of all. He's the answer to all. He's the object of our greatest desire. He is the prize. What we want, it's not the prize. He is the prize. And if we're not careful, we will settle for, we will search after, we will long for, we will hunger for false good news. And if I teach Jeremiah 29, 11, I want to teach it in such a way that it will preach consistently anywhere in the world. So if it's all about you getting a new house, a new car, your new and better life, it's all about you never being sick, how do I preach that to the Christian mom in Syria who just lost a kid to kidnapping and who lives in a refugee tent because her house just got blown up? God will never let anything bad happen to you. Tell that to the Christian parents whose child just developed malaria from a mosquito bite that could have been prevented by an inexpensive mosquito net that they just didn't have access to. Somehow, as we live, we have, without consciously thinking about it, we have become content and convinced that verses like Jeremiah 29, 11 actually do apply 
to Western Christians only. God bless Canada, you know. God bless the USA. This is true for the church and that it's true for North American Christians. In other words, to the rest of the world, God loves you and everything, but you're kind of up the creek when it comes to this stuff because God blesses us, but not you. We sing them a song, and maybe you know this song. We sing this to them. Jesus loves me, but not you. Right? That's the song that's coming out. Over here, we believe that we serve a God who's always going to get us the best parking spot at the mall. We believe that we have a God who has lined up for us our dream home. And we serve a God that enables us to, by faith, acquire the newest upgraded iPhone every time it comes out. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for my stuff. It's a very, very self-centered view. And that view also distorts us from what we view about God. So my thought is, if we can't preach this everywhere, then I shouldn't preach it anywhere. And if I can't preach this, preach this in a country where the average wage is 2 to $3 a day, then I, then, I, then I can't preach it that way. It's not right. If I can't preach the same message to an inner city youth program as to the wealthiest people out in the suburbs, if I can't preach it with integrity in all environments, then I really shouldn't preach it anywhere. If it's not true everywhere, then it's not true anywhere. What I want to do is to try and teach in a way that applies to everybody so that we'll live with integrity in submission to God our Father. And if we're simply pursuing a God who gives us joy without pain, blessings without trial, prosperity without any bumps in the road, we're actually pursuing, writing, promoting false good news. And that has no power to save. That's very dangerous. And that's why a lot of people walk away from faith. Well, God didn't do exactly what I wanted him to do. Well, I tithed, but I never got rich. I went to church every Sunday and my kids still got sick. This Jeremiah 29, 11 is a specific promise to a specific group of people. And let me give you a general promise, okay? You think it's been depressing so far? <laughs> I came to church to get built up today. This is hard stuff, right? You think it's been hard? We haven't even gotten started yet, okay? I'm about to give you two really good verses that you can now put on your new coffee mug. First one, 2 Timothy 3.12. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? Yeah, put that on your t-shirt, right? Got that coming out. Philippians 1.29, for it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to what? Yes. Amen, brother. Here's the deal. This is what we got to understand. The good news, the real good news. The good news is not that God saves us from our trials. The good news is that God saves us from our sins. This is the real good news, and we often don't understand how good that news is. Scripture teaches us repeatedly that we fall horribly short. And here's the problem. When it comes to God's standards, his standard is holiness. His standard is perfection, and we fall short. And we don't fall short like a little tiny bit short. We fall short like I'm dirty rags. Like I'm completely unrighteous. There is nothing good inside of me. But I serve a God who did for me 
what I could never earn and what I didn't deserve. He became one of us in the person of Jesus who loved the most unlovable, who reached out to all those people that religion rejected. He accepted people where they were, but he never left them where they were. On the cross, he became for me so much, um, he became sin for me so much that God looked away. Can't even bear to look at you. And as he was up there, he looks up to heaven and he says, I did what you sent me to do. It is finished. That's the good news. And that's the best news. That represents a good God. It represents the good God. This is the good news. Not that God exists to save people from trials, but that God sent Jesus to save us from our sins. We serve a God that is better than just saving us from our trials. We serve a God who takes our trials and he uses them to conform us to the image of Christ. Therefore, when God doesn't do exactly what we want him to do, exactly when we want him to do it, we don't panic. We don't run away from our God. We embrace him for his character and his nature because he is the good God. Our highest calling and our purpose is to align our lives and our wills to serve him. That is what we're created to do. Now, honestly, that doesn't sound so cool on the first listen. So if that's your first time hearing it, I don't expect you to cheer about that. It's not popular. (laughs) Ain't it so much more fun when it's all about us? But it's right when it's all about him. The exiles, they want easy, just like we want easy. I want it easy. Two years, please. Get us out of here. We're in bondage. We don't want to be in bondage. Right before that famous verse in Jeremiah 29, 11. What comes right before Jeremiah 29, 11? Yes, it does. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come back to you and fulfill my good promise and bring you back to this place. When 70 years. Do you remember who Jeremiah was speaking to? Remember that at the beginning we read that? Some of the people that he was speaking to were the elders. How old do you think the elders were? The answer? They were elderly. That's how old they were, okay? He's speaking to some people who are elderly. So let's just pick up a number. Imagine in that culture, certainly someone, life expectancy is much shorter than here. So let's say 70, 70 70-year-old in that time. Hey, in 70 years, I will come back. I know the plans I have for you to bless you, to prosper you, and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. And they're thinking, we're never going to see this happen. We're not going to see this happen in the natural. And God knew that they would see it in the supernatural because he had plans to bless them and prosper them and to give them hope and a future. And it wasn't just based on this life. Why? First Corinthians tells us something like this. It's written, what no eye has seen, what no, no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, these are the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But I want it now. 
I want it now. I want to be prosperous and I want a new car. I want a new car with butt warmers. I need to have butt warmers because it gets cold here in Canada. And the reason it gets cold here in Canada is because you made it cold. But just because this text was not written to us doesn't mean that there's not truth in this text. This text is true. God does have plans for us. God does have a purpose for us all day long. Ephesians 1.1, it says, God works everything in conformity with a purpose of his will. Romans 8.28, it says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, those who have been called according to his purpose. Yes, God has a purpose and God has a plan. Does God have a plan to bless people? All day long. We interpret scripture with scripture, okay? So God is the good God and loves to give good gifts to his children. Does God prosper people? All the time. Prospering doesn't always mean financial prospering. That's the way we choose to hear it. What other kind matters, right? Sometimes prospering and blessing means relationships. I'm convinced that much of the currency of heaven is given through relationships. Sometimes it means health. Sometimes it means we have peace with, and, and, and we are right with God, and we know that we are right with God. If you get cancer, can you still have hope? All day long. We have hope that God uses doctors. We have hope that the name of Jesus is bigger than the name of cancer. We have a hope that in our God who said, all things are possible with me. Whenever your heart falls apart and you think, well, I could never overcome this. God, could you ever use me again? After what I did, God, could you ever use me? Yes, you have a hope and you have a future. We serve a God who works in all things to bring about good. He will use it for your future. He will take that thing where you messed up and he will do something, and he will help to conform you to the image of his son, Jesus. You're not finished yet. If you're not dead, you're not done. God still has something for you. So Jeremiah 29, 11, it's not specifically for us. The truth is, embrace it, but don't stop at verse 11. Don't stop there, because what could go on your coffee mug is really what comes after. Look at verse 12 and 13 and 14. They do become a general promise to all of us. Why are they different? Because what they say is consistent with other promises throughout Scripture. God says, when you call on me and come to me and pray to me, I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. So God says, no matter what you're going through, I'm going to be there for you. Whenever you call on me, I will hear you. It doesn't matter if you don't feel like it. When you call on me, I will hear you. When you cry out to me, I am there. No matter what you do, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you always. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will not fear. Why? Because God, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You will never, ever leave me. 
The main point of this message is not that God delivers you from your trials. It's it's not that God gives you exactly what you want. It's that God will never leave you nor forsake you. Our faith does not rest on what he does or does not do right now. Our faith rests on what he already did when he died for us on the cross. Our faith rests on what he already did in showing us an empty tomb, a tomb that's empty because he rose from the dead and he conquered death. My faith rests on the love already shown to me. So years and years after my car accident and that voice telling me, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, that verse has helped me on my journey. It pushed me along this road trip in earnest pursuit of Christ. And it remains important to me. It's still one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Because though it wasn't written specifically for me, it wasn't written just for Graham, there's a truth in it. And it leads to the next part. The next part, 12, 13, and 14. And those verses, honestly, they truly changed my life. If you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, says the Lord. So that's what I did. That's what I did. And in the middle of my brokenness, my physical healing, dealing with a severe concussion, not having the power of regular thought like other people did at that time, without even knowing how to do it the right way, I started calling on to him. And I said, God, I need you. If you're there, If you're real, reveal yourself to me. That's what I did. And I started earnestly pursuing God. I began questing after him. And I wanted to learn more, to study more, to grow in relationship more and more. But this is the truly amazing part of the story. That quest after Jesus led me here. That quest, that pursuit that I was on, that part of my story, that led me to you. And it led you to me. And our stories overlapped, and we had no idea that it was happening. Because he was using all things together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And that's a general promise to every single one of you. When you call on him, he will hear your cry. When you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. When you seek him, you will find him when you seek him with all your heart. So that's why that verse that wasn't specifically written to me is still one of my favorite sections of the Bible. Because of the verses that are there, they help me to get to know him personally, not just theologically. Pray with me. Father, today I pray that as we we learn to study your word, even with a broader understanding, to dive into the context, to get the big picture, I pray that we would fall in love with you even more intimately as we see you for who you really are, what your character is like in your nature. And as we take a moment and we pray today, I want to pray with those of you who might be going through a really challenging time. I understand that as a pastor, sometimes when you're in a hard time, You're praying for help and a miracle. It's not coming. And sometimes that can rattle people's faith. I want to take a moment 
this morning and just pray with you and for you. Some of you right now are facing financial challenges. Huge ones. Some of you are facing health challenges. Confusing ones. Some of you are facing relational challenges. You've got workers and co-workers and it's just not working. Some of you today and for too many days are dealing with mental illness. You're dealing with anxiety and depression. And some of you, you're just overwhelmed to the point that you feel like you might just break. It's truly heartbreaking to hear your story. But God is your provider. He still loves you. And he's faithful. And whatever it is that you're going through, that thing that's right now, and you really need God's presence, and you want to ask God for some direct intervention, then if that's you today, let's be serious about this. And I'll, I'm honored to pray for you. Together as a body, we're going to pray for each other, so don't look around. But if this is you, and you're saying, I'm going through a difficult time, and I really need God's presence, and I would love it if God would do something supernatural on my behalf, if that's you today, would you show honesty and humility and just lift your hand up and say, that's me today? Not a time to look around. This is a time when we pray together. God, I thank you for those who are reaching out to you with an extended hand or an extended heart. God, we believe that's what you're doing. We're drawing near to you. We're calling on you. We're trusting you. God, I thank you that many times you do deliver us from our trials. And I thank you, God, that you hear our prayers and you do miracles. And God, I thank you that your highest purpose isn't just to do what I want you to do, but to deliver to save me from my sins, to save us from our sins. Right now, God, we're going to rejoice in that. And God, we ask that for those who are struggling and hurting today, that somehow by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would be enough right now that you would guide our hearts and our minds and our souls, guard them in Christ Jesus, that you would give us a supernatural peace that goes beyond our human ability to understand. And God, according to your word, you tell us that we can ask we can ask for miracles. So God, we ask for healing. We ask for financial provision. We ask for forgiveness in relationships where they are broken and breaking. God, we ask that you would help us to overcome temptation. We pray that you would break any bondage that holds us back. We believe, God, that you hear our prayer and that for many people you will do all these things and even more, even now. And God, we recognize that you respond to our faith and sometimes, God, when, when you don't do what we ask, what we ask you to do in that moment, it becomes challenging for us. We don't know how to go forward. But we're going to choose right now to focus on your character and your goodness, believing, God, that you have a higher purpose. Believing, God, that you'll use our trials to help us to be even more intimate with you. God, we trust you.
We believe you can. God, we believe you will. And even if you don't, if you don't do what we ask, God, we will still believe and we will still worship you. God, guide us forward to serve you well. May you be the center of our stories, reflecting your love, being faithful to you in all that we do as we seek you and as we worship you. Lord God, give us the strength and the courage to overcome, to bear up under, and to come through. We choose to battle with obedience, with trust, and with patience. Empower us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to invite you to uh, stand with us as we offer this last song of praise. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I turn back to praise. And when the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I turn back to praise. And when the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. You give and take away. You give and take away. You give and take away, my heart will choose to stay, Lord, blessed be your name. You give and take away, you give and take away, you give and take away, oh, my heart will choose to say, oh, Lord, blessed be your name, blessed 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Ah, it's better when you're here. It's better when we're together. And I remain convinced that the more we connect, the better it gets. God works in you, and that helps me. And when God works in me, that's going to help you as well. So as I send you out, remember, you don't just walk away. You go sent from this place. Now I want to remind you that we are Christ-centered, we are spirit-empowered, and we are mission-focused. And the mission that we are on is for everyone, everywhere, all the time. 